Hey, it's KJ with Living Christian, and welcome to the Bible Reading and Coffee Drinking Podcast. If this is your first time here, what we do on this podcast is read a chapter of the Bible, drink a little bit of coffee, and talk a whole lot about Jesus along the way. Each episode dives into Scripture and discusses it in a somewhat modern and relatable way. I'll also be answering some questions from my social media followers. They'll submit a question if you'd like me to answer it. Oh, and we'll drink coffee along the way as well. Although our main focus is reading the Bible and drinking some coffee, we will also occasionally be doing some interviews, some random other messages along the way, so be sure to check back often. If you feel the urge to support the podcast, you can do so right here on the podcast page. If this podcast helps you grow in your faith, maybe consider sending it to a friend or uh, maybe dropping a rating or review. It certainly helps us get the word out. And also make sure you check out livingchristian.org for Bible verse lists, Christian blog, an apparel store with a bunch of Christian t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. It's awesome. All at livingchristian.org. And if you're there, make sure you use the code podcast20. That's a special code for 20% off our entire store only for our podcast listeners. So podcast20, use that when you're on livingchristian.org. Now let's get to the episode. All right, so welcome to another episode of the Bible Reading and Coffee Drinking. Uh, we're hitting Genesis 8 and 9 today, so this will be our last kind of study in Genesis. We've done this for three episodes now. Uh, this is wrapping up the, the flood story with Noah and his family, and we're going to learn a little bit about what happens after the flood. So in uh, Genesis 6 and 7 last time, we talked about the world going wrong, we talked about the flood covering and the repercussions of that flood. And we talked a little bit about that. So today in 8 and 9, we're, the flood waters will recede, and we'll see how Noah handles uh, kind of the um, aftermath of the flood, which is kind of interesting on some of the way he the way he hit that. So anyways, uh, let's hit 8 and 9, and we'll uh, chit-chat along the way, shall we? All right, the flood recedes. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the flood waters began to recede. The underground water stopped flowing, and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the flood waters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Uh, and that is, most people think, sorry about that, most people think that is in modern-day Turkey. Okay. Uh, two and a half months later, uh, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. So... The rains have uh, kind of started to fall away. Uh, it's been 150 days since the, the flood started, and it took uh, two and a half months later for the waters to continue to go down. So it's not just the rains and where that water goes, but it's also the water coming up from the earth that they're talking about. So where's all that water go? Evaporation, goes back in the earth, who knows? But God made it go away after uh, two and a half months. Verse 6. After another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat, and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters in the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and if he could find dry ground. But the dove could not find a place to land because the water was still covering the ground. It's been months here. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, if you remember last time, if you are with me, the, the, the significance of 40 and 7 throughout the Bible, right? And the seventh day, God rested. He, he created the heavens and earth in seven days. Now he had to wait another seven days uh, for those dove to find dry, dry ground. It's not lost on me, the, uh, the importance of numbers in the Bible. All right, let's see where we were. Uh, after uh, waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. 
He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time, it did not come back. All right. So, uh, so Noah's being patient, right, as we all need to learn. He's being patient with God. He's being patient with the floodwaters receding. He's trying to make sure that he could find uh, ground somewhere. All right, so now the verse 13. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first, remember, it took over 100 years for him to build the ark. So he started when he, when he was writing in 500. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, 10 and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and the last of the earth was dry. Verse 15, Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all the large and small animals and birds come out to the boat, pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And then there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. Okay, so if you remember we talked about last time, the, the, the narrative or the old story of the two-by-two, two, and that was in the boat, that was true. Now it also had, we had pears and other animals that we had for sacrificing as well for Noah and the family to eat. So that's the reference there in case you missed it from 6 and 7. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and, they, and he sacrificed his burnt offerings. The animals and birds have been proved for the purpose. That's what I just said. Sorry, I'm repeating myself. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never curse the ground. I will never again curse the ground because the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So that writes up eight. You can see God's promise to us, our covenant to us, after he floods the earth. No matter, he realizes that the human race is fallible, right? He even talks about the fact that we're bent towards evil since childhood. That's harsh, but it's true. I mean, let's be, let's be realistic now, okay? So with that... He pledges never to flood the earth again, which we'll talk about next. And he also talks about the fact that since he will, there will always be living things on the earth. <clears throat> as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and uh, heat, summer and winter. Talking about the seasons, talking about the cycles. All right, let's hit verse 9. God confirms his covenant. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, and all the animal, small animals that scurry along the ground. I love how descriptive that is. And all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. Similar to the way he did with Adam and Eve. He talked about the fact that the animals are here to serve us. Okay? I've given them <clears throat> to you for food, just as I've given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. So obviously things need to be cooked. Okay. Verse 5. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will be also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own Im image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulation the earth. So God's putting that power of, of justice in the hands of man. Okay. 
So he took justice in his own hands as he flooded the earth and punished all living creatures with the exception of what was saved through Noah. Now he's giving instructions to Noah, right? <clears throat> that, hey, now this is why I need you and your people to monitor and control earth and also, you know, lay down judgment where judgment's needed, right? All right, then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will I, will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. All right, so God's making a promise right there. Now, does he say that the, you know, we won't be destroyed, whether by our own hands or something else? No. What he says is he will never again use floodwaters. Okay, that's his covenant. Obviously, there's a little bit of foreshadowing about what's going to happen later on in Revelation and other books, Thessalonians, etc., right? Where he passes down his wrath on the earth, but never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Verse 12. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and all living creatures. For all generations to come, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, a rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant. I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. There's the rainbow, okay? I know I've seen some comments. You guys uh, want me to talk about that. <clears throat> the rainbow is the sign that reminds God not to flood the earth. He reminds himself, so to speak, of the covenant he made with human beings. It reminds us, it reminds him. As it rains in the clouds, we have beautiful rainbows, right? And that is a sign that we do not have to fear God flooding the earth again, okay? It's a beautiful thing. And I know that you guys want me to comment on how the rainbow is used in our society nowadays. I don't know why it's used that way. The rainbow is a covenant from God, period. Whatever other thing it's being used for is not the way God intended it to be used, okay? It's right there in Genesis 9. So, next time you see a rainbow in the sky, say a little prayer, and remember that uh, remember God's promise and His covenant with us, and thank Him for that. I always like, whenever I see a rainbow, I like to take a moment, close my eyes, and uh, say a little prayer to God, thanking Him uh, for everything He does for me in my life, as well as His promises that He's made in this book to us. If you see a double rainbow, poof, you better stop and thank God. All right, uh, let's wrap up nine here. We're going to get in a little interesting part of Noah, learn about his character. Uh, Noah's sons, uh, verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out to the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham is the father of Canaan. From these three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. It's interesting to me. I think sometimes we forget. Sorry to pause here on verse 18. Sometimes we forget uh, that the fact that the earth was entirely repopulated after the flood. We go back to Adam and Eve, and we're all from there. But in reality, that's true. But 
everybody else that was wiped out. So now we're all descendants of Noah, which is an interesting take on it when you think about it. Um, verse 20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside the tent. Noah's not without fault here, my friends. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, uh, held it over his shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way, so they would not see him naked. Okay, so why did they do this? It was interesting to me. So Noah is uh, half celebrating, probably half um, uh, in dismay. Okay, so if we put ourselves in Noah's um, position for a second, okay? So it, it, for over a hundred years, he was persecuted by everybody around him, laughing at him, obeying God, building an ark, and saving humanity and the animals on the earth. Now, everybody he knew, other than his family, is dead. Old people, young people, children, animals, everything. I think we sometimes look past the horrific nature of what God felt like he had to do. So you imagine how that must have weighed down on Noah's heart and his psyche and his mind, right? He is responsible not only for repopulating the entire earth, <laughs> but also saving us in the sense of, with his actions, he saved his family. And he trusted God through it all. And that's the only reason why. So he probably has a, a little bit of a, um, <clears throat> a thankful heart and a relief, the fact that he was right and he trusted God, right? And God brought him through this and brought his family through this. But it, I'm sure it weighs on him as well. I know it would weigh on me. That would be a very heavy thing to think about and you're... you're You've been gone for months and months. You finally are starting to cultivate the land. Life is quasi back to normal. And you realize you're the only people on the planet. You and your three sons and their wives are the only people on the planet. That's got to be weighing on him. So with that, God shows us, right, that even though his trusted people like Noah will fail at times. Okay? And Noah failed. Drunk and naked, there's no way to go through life, and his sons caught him doing that, right? But the, one of the lessons I love about this is the fact that they took care of him anyways, all right? They covered him, they walked back, they didn't want to embarrass their father. They wanted to view him as the savior of their family and, and, a, and a, an obedient person of God. So they didn't want to see him in the light that they're seeing right now. So they covered him up, they walked in backwards, and they took care of him. So the lesson to be learned is God will use all of us. God will use all of us, and sometimes he will change us. All the time he will change us. But sometimes we will fall back into sin, as Noah did. Being drunk is a sin. Many references in the Bible. Drinking wine is not, but being drunkard is. And he's drunk and naked. That's sinful. <laughs> okay? So with that, knowing that it's uh, if you have fallen back, into some old patterns that you, you know, had before you were saved, go to God with them. Okay? Noah's going to do that. He, he was a righteous man with God. So it's okay. It's not—we shouldn't 
uh, praise sin or appreciate sin or, or be okay with it. But when we fall back, go to God and ask for forgiveness. All right, verse 24. When God woke up from a stupor, he learned from Ham <clears throat> what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of the servants of the relatives. Then Noah said, May the Lord, the God of Shem, be blessed, and, the, and may Canaan be his servant. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May Japheth share the prosperity of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Noah lived another 350 years after the great flood. He lived 950 years, and then he died. It's, that is interesting. It's interesting how he took off, you know, took Ham and kind of blamed him uh, as opposed to the other two. It's interesting. But anyways, uh, so that is the story of Noah. Sorry, pause there for a second. That is the story of Noah and the flood. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. God does protect us, okay? He does not always remove us from the storms of life, right? He did not remove Noah and his family from the storms of life. They had to deal with the storm. They had to deal with the floods. They had to deal with the, just the torrential issues that that would have brought. It must have been terrifying. And they had to deal with the repercussions of that. They had to repopulate the earth. They had to deal with the fact that their friends, they had some at the time, I assume, were all gone. That people that they knew and probably loved were all gone. Okay? So that is one of the big lessons that I take from the flood, is the fact that God will rescue us through the storm. He will part the Red Sea and make a way through, but he will not do away with the storm sometimes. Sometimes there's lessons in the storm. <clears throat> and Noah learned a lot of lessons going through these challenges. Right? But if you trust God, he will always make a way through it. Noah trusted God when God told him to build an ark. He trusted him and did what he said. He was obedient to God. And what happened? He was able to survive. He was a righteous man of God, even with his faults, as we just talked about. Right? So, saying all that, I don't know what you're going through right now, what storms you may be going through right now. We all go through some. If you trust God and do what he says, he'll pull you through them. I promise. That is a wonderful lesson of Noah and the flood. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's hit some questions, uh, and then uh, we'll get out of here on a Monday. As a reminder, before we hit the questions, uh, we are in the middle of November here. And for those watching this live or maybe listen to it afterwards, uh, we do have our 20% off Christmas sale. Look at my hoodie right here. It's a little, uh, my little, I got a little marca flag on uh, with uh, my hoodie that I'm wearing on. This is one of the ones I sell in the store. Very popular with, uh, with the guys out there. Uh, so uh, if you go to the store now, livingchristian.org, uh, or you can go to my link on my, any of my profiles on any of my social media, and uh, you can hit the store there. Use the code JOLLY20, and you'll get 20% off uh, everything on the store, the whole thing. Everything's on sale. Uh, we'll run that sale through the end of the month, probably the first week of December. I'll take a look at my deadlines. I'm making sure I can get everything to everybody uh, for the Christmas holiday, and uh, I'll put those deadlines on my social channels at some point. But usually that's like the uh, second week of December, right around the 10th, but uh, I'll take a look at that. Uh, but I'll have my deadlines from my vendors and from my shipping and all that stuff. I'll do my research. But between now and then, use the code JOLLY20 and you get 20% off, just like uh, this hoodie. Hopefully you guys uh, like everything there. All right, uh, let's ask some, answer a few questions and we'll get about our Monday. All right. 
During prayer time, this is a good one. Um, during prayer time, is it necessary to kneel? Uh, no. Uh, there's lots of references to, uh, you know, how to pray in the Bible. Um, there's even a reference in the Gospels that talks about going away and finding a quiet place. I would say um, there's no wrong way to pray. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you want to stand up, stand up. If you want to find a quiet place, find a quiet place. If you want to pray before a meal, pray before a meal. Uh, there's there's lots of references and ways people pray in the Bible. Uh, there's uh, there's no hardcore regulation that you have to pray a certain way. I pray several times a day, as much as I can, in many different ways. Right? We pr- we pray as a family before every meal. I pray when I wake up. Uh, sometimes I pray in the shower. Sometimes I pray when I'm driving. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. So uh, pray w- wherever and whenever you can. That is my answer for that. So you know you don't need to kneel. Why were sacrifices and rituals done uh, for God in the Old Testament, like using animals, blood, etc.? So that is an interesting question. I don't have the perfect answer for you. Um, I think, in my mind, it shows, if you read the entirety of the Bible, right, it shows that sacrifices were necessary, right? So part of it, it goes all the way back to, if you go back to the old you know, Jewish times, they sacrificed on the Sabbath, they read the you know Genesis, and they talked about God, um, working six days, and they sacrificed the seventh, right? A Sabbath was a day of rest, which was you're sacrificing in some form or fashion. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, fasting, and there's a lot of sacrificing going on throughout the Bible. Now, what does that mean? Especially in the Old Testament, we sacrificed uh, animals and things like that. You had to sacrifice to give something to God, okay? There's two things. I think one is it's a... It's a a sign or a metaphor for us sacrificing in our life and giving to God our lives. Okay. The two is what happens is when you read the entire Bible, you realize that Jesus was the sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God, if that makes sense. So what happens is they're showing you that a sacrifice is necessary in the Old Testament. And then when you get to the New Testament, you realize the sacrifice that was necessary was Jesus. Period. So if you're reading it in context of the entire Bible, that is how I look at it, right? Jesus is the sacrifice that had to be made. And without those references in the Old Testament, without the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, we wouldn't understand why Jesus had to sacrifice himself in the New Testament. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that helps. Let's see what other questions we have. We'll uh, wrap this thing up. Uh, Do you have to pray out loud or is in your mind enough? <clears throat> I do both, to be honest with you. So I think it's okay. Um, I think it's okay both ways, right? There are many times that I pray out loud. But prayer is a personal discussion between you and God. I don't feel like it has to be out loud. <clears throat> it's not for anybody else. I don't care if who hears me or if somebody needs to hear me. Uh, it's for me. Now, we pray typically on this live and these podcasts, and that's because we're praying together. Right? So there are times that I feel that when you're praying together as one body of Christ, you do or you can pray out loud. But if you're by yourself, you you do you. All right, Whatever you feel like uh, the way God is pushing you in order to uh, talk to Him, go do it. All right, one more question, and then uh, we get out of here. All right, let's see what else we have here. All right, this is a long one, but I'm going to read it anyways. Why doesn't God put me in the right circumstances for me to believe in him? 
He knows what it would take for each of us to repent. So if he really wanted me to repent, wouldn't he put me in the right place or in the right circumstance to repent? <clears throat> because everyone can change their mind in the right circumstances. All right, Seth. Let's talk about that real quick. I'm going to be straight with you. God puts you in circumstances that he needs for you in order to get you somewhere. We don't always understand those circumstances. Sometimes they're joyful. Sometimes they're painful. But don't put the fact that you may have not accepted Jesus yet on God. We have free will. We have decisions we get to make. He gave us that. He gave us this book to read, to learn about him, and to learn about faith and what we need to do to get to heaven. He gave us <clears throat> all of these things externally that helps us believe in him and understand him. If you're still living in sin and you have not repented or you have not stopped your sin or if you have not gone to God and said you're sorry or you have not given your life fully to Jesus Christ, it's not God's fault. I mean, I know that's probably not the answer you wanted to hear. God puts us in circumstances, and sometimes they're hard circumstances. And we take that hard circumstance in the sense of, why is God making me go through this? Right? If he made it easy for me, I would repent and believe in him? Quite frankly, it's the opposite. Sometimes we're in hard situations, so we realize that we can't make it through without God. Period. <clears throat> so if you're going through a hard circumstance... Maybe you're looking at it the wrong way. Maybe you're looking in the sense of, why doesn't God put me in an easier circumstance so I would repent and believe in Him? It's actually the opposite. Hard circumstances are part of life. And I do firmly believe that sometimes God puts us in difficult situations so we realize we can't do it all on our own, that we need Him. So I'm praying for you, all right? I'm praying for you to understand that. I'm praying for you to go to God in prayer and go to God and tell Him that, you're sorry, and go to God and tell him that you'll follow Christ. My advice to you is to pray as much as you can. Open up this book. Start reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Learn about Jesus. You'll get closer, I promise. You'll get closer to God. You'll get closer to Christ. All right? So, choose to do that. Circumstances, no matter what they are, good or bad, shouldn't change the fact that whether you give your life to Christ or not, okay? Use those difficult situations to grow, all right? All right, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, Genesis. We'll do a different book on Friday. We'll just grab one. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Let me know if you, want, if you have something you want me to read, okay? <clears throat> have a sip of coffee and we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together today. There's so many lessons to be learned, Lord, in Genesis and throughout the Bible. So many lessons to be learned and that we can take in our day-to-day -day lives by just reading the story about Noah and what he went through and how committed he was to you. Lord, we need the strength to do that. You gave us this strength. You gave us this will. You gave us the decisions. And sometimes we lose track of that, and we're sorry, Lord. We're sorry if we blame you for circumstances that are out of our control. We're sorry if we blame you for things not going right in our life. Lord, I'm praying that everybody watching this or listening to this right now realizes that if they're dealing with difficult situations in their life, that they know that they have to turn to you, that only you can help them get through these storms. 
just like Noah got through the flood with your help and with your direction. We need your direction. We need your help, Lord, to get through our lives. Even though sometimes we think that we don't need to get on the boat. We can do it on our own. But Noah made a decision to be obedient to you, and we are going to do that as well. We love you, and we trust you. I'm praying for everybody watching or listening to this that they give their life to Christ today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Love you guys. Uh, Y'all have a great week, and uh, we'll see you on Friday. Until next time, keep Jesus in your heart and forever in mind.